Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Why is Chris so high on Riley Green? Why is Scott so low on Josh Young? Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank, Scott, and Chris here on Thursday, January 18th. And yesterday I mentioned our 2024 rankings are live on the site, cbsports.com. Make sure to check them out. We have Roto, head-to-head points, AL only, NL only, mixed rankings, whatever you want. They're all there. So today on the show, we are taking a look at some of the biggest differences in our rankings, perhaps even uh, debate a little bit. But hmm. before we get into the players, uh, let everyone know how the sausage is made a little bit. And Scott, we'll start with you. How do you go about making your rankings? Because... As we know, if people have followed all offseason, you're making rankings before any type of ADP is out. So how do you do it? It's true. I'm very old school about the making of my rankings. I go through every single player. I look at everything that I deem to be valuable when it comes to analyzing players. And then I decide which player... I want to draft more than the other player. And then I keep doing that until the rankings are done. <laughs> and it's it's a it's a grind. Uh it's it's value it's it's invaluable research, I would say, uh, to help me prepare for the new season. So it's 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 worth the time investment. But I I I I gather not a lot of people make their rankings that way. They lean heavily on projections these days, and it does make the process faster, I will say. Maybe less, maybe tailored less to your own personal taste. And, and I do think we are seeing within the industry sort of a, a groupthink taking hold that maybe has something to do with the way people form their projections. I don't think I'm going to win any pr- any with the way people form their rankings, I should say. I don't think I'm going to win any ranking accuracy contests, contests with the way I do it. But I do think in terms of taking into account 
my own comfort level with risk reward. I, I think the only way to do it is is to do it this way, where I'm like, okay, good example. What's a good example of a risk reward player this year? Cole Reagans. Sure, I was thinking <laughs> lower in than that, but sure, Cole Reagans. Uh, I under I recognize the risks with Reagans, but I think given my own tolerance for for pitching this year and risk at pitching and what I think the rewards are for for taking a chance on somebody like Cole Reagans, I'm willing to move him up higher and accept more risk for the sake of that reward because I think rewards are so hard to find within that position. Um, and so that's what informs my ranking of Cole Reagans and maybe why it's apart from the consensus. I don't know if that was just a bunch of gobbledygook or if it actually made sense, but that's, uh, yeah, that's part of my process there. They're your ranking, Scott. You can do them however you want to. Chris, same question to you. Just to get this off the top, I hate ordinal rankings. I, I know that that's what the people want and it's a big part of what we do and, and we create content off it. It's not how I think about baseball. It's not how I really think about anything. And, and, and I'll, I'll give you an example from my rankings where I've got, we're going to talk about at least one of these guys today. I've got Tyler glass now as SP 10, Aaron Nola as SP 11, Frank, I know you had it as SP nine in your show notes. So just delete that nine, put an 11. I'm still higher on him than, than you two are. So it'll still work. And Yoshi Yamamoto, uh, 12. And like part of what screws my brain up is like I could make a case for Yamamoto ahead of Nola, but behind Glass now. But I could also make a case for Nola ahead of Glass. And, and so like I get these like weird like the, the, the transitive property does not necessarily work all the time for my rankings. And then, so I tend to like, I do the rankings and I put the work in and my process to, to actually answer the question that you asked rather than whatever I was doing is I do base mine off of, I, I start from a, from a source of outside sources. So uh, that would be like early ADP projections. You know, sometimes I'll just steal Scott's rankings and, and throw them in there as a source. And then I start to make the moves individually within there. So I have the baseline and then I add in my flavor. I've got the recipe and the ingredients. And then I, I add my own individual flavor, I guess would be the analogy that I would go for. But it's to say that like, I always struggle with like, why do you have this guy 17 and that guy 18? And it's like, cause I had to hit submit, you know, but like a lot of the ordinal rankings, I don't feel as strongly about as, Maybe I should, but a lot of the times when you're talking about players separated by one spot in the rankings or two spots in the rankings, the outcome is so much cloudier than I have this guy seven and that guy eight makes you think. Well, and that's kind of the whole basis behind tiers, right? I mean, in, in theory, players who belong to the same tier at a position are more or less interchangeable and you can have some pretty big tiers. You can have tiers that are six, seven players deep, even at an infield spot. So I, I totally get where you're coming from with that. Uh, and it's, it, there are certain points in the rankings that are parsing and there are other points in the rankings 
those drop-offs that define the difference between tiers mm-hmm. where it really does make a difference who you want and who you don't want. And I think that's going to come up a lot in these discussions we have. I do want to also say up top here that rankings are an ongoing process. I mean, I've yes. already made some significant... So to where I originally ranked players in October, I've already made some significant changes You know, throughout the offseason. Cole Reagans to bring him up again. You probably heard me say I have him 11th at starting pitcher. Well, now he's 16th because I realized I didn't have to draft him at 11th and drafting him 16th, ranking him 16th will pretty much ensure I draft him in every league based on what his ADP is right now. So I do, I do adjust my rankings uh, not to align with ADP, but to take advantage of ADP mm-hmm. so that I'm not advising people to reach that far for Cole Reagans. If there's, if there's no need to. And, and rankings are a living document, right? Like, Obviously, that's not totally true. I can't keep updating my preseason rankings until September. That would be kind of unfair. But like up until opening day, I reserve the right to change my opinion on on players. And and so if you're using our rankings to draft, it's it's just kind of keep in mind that like they're not final until you use them to draft or until the season starts. And so, you know, this process today, I'm going to move a bunch of these guys up or down based on the discussions that we have, because I'm not so convinced that, you know, I'm, I'm behind schedule because of football, obviously I'm not so convinced that the, you know, month uh, or three weeks that I spent working on these represents the, the perfect ranking. So I'm, I'm absolutely open to moving guys, not seismic shifts in the way I view any individual player, but, yeah, moving guys within tiers, that'll absolutely happen. Yeah, lots of great points there. I agree completely. We're still kind of fresh in the rankings process where, you know, if we get on here today and you guys make fantastic points about a player I'm higher or lower on, then yeah, there is a chance that I will lower that player. I mean, these things are not set in stone. Um, and I think it would be a disservice to listeners and people who consume the rankings to not make moves, right? I mean, based on new information that comes out, things that we see in spring training, velocities being up, things that we just learn in the offseason. Sometimes you don't find out a player was dealing with an injury or had an Mm offseason surgery until they show up at spring training, right? So we have to take all of those things into account. A few other notes I wanted to mention. Chris, you talked about how just a straight rankings list, I think there's a lot of nuance involved too because if you tell someone, look, just draft off this rankings list, right? Go down the sheet, cross names off, and draft off this ranking list. That's not how I draft. It's not going to work well because for multiple reasons. If you play in a roto league, you need to cover different categories, Mm -hmm. right? So your highest ranked player might be Pete Alonzo, but if you need speed, you might have to go in a different direction, right? So it doesn't necessarily work out that way. And even if you Mm -hmm. talk about a head-to-head points league, if you're constructing a pitching staff, you might not want a whole pitching staff of guys that have had injuries in the past. You know, mm-hmm. Tyler Glass now, Walker Bueller, Michael King, whatever. You don't want all those guys on one pitching staff. You might want to pick and choose a little bit. All right, maybe I have uh-huh. Tyler Glass now ranked higher, but Logan Webb has a higher floor, so I want to take him to pair with this other risky pitcher I have. Stuff like that, right? So uh, there another, is a lot of nuance involved. It's not just draft straight down the rankings, you know? Another example like that is our rankings are tailored for 12 team leagues. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I kind of fade 
boring players who are going to get a lot of playing time in favor of exciting players whose playing time is much more questionable. But if you're playing in a 15-team league, those boring players that get a lot of reps are, are mm-hmm. kind of essential. And gambling on a, a player who's maybe exciting but his playing time is more questionable, it's a much bigger gamble because if you miss, there's not much of a waiver wire to speak of. So, you know, I, I, I don't keep... There aren't separate tools for me to adjust for 12 teams versus 15 teams. And even if there was, there's no way I could keep up with that. So you kind of have to approach the rankings, understanding where we're coming from. 12-team mindset. If it's a 10-team league, you might take even bigger risks than I've taken Mm -hmm. for upside. But if it's a 15-team league, you know, play it a little more cautiously and maybe downgrade some of those upside types in favor of secure. And and, and I think the... Another way to think about it, and I'm sure Frank wants to move on, so we'll just hit this quickly, but think about it in terms of error bars, right? So, like, if I have a pitcher, Spencer Strider, I've got him as my number 10 overall player. He's my number one starting pitcher. But, like, Eric Cole is 13. The error bars there probably overlap, right? Like, I could make a case for Garrett Cole at 11 and Spencer Strider at 12, and it wouldn't really require me to change how I view those players fundamentally. The further you get in the rankings, the wider those error bars tend to be, you know? So once, once you start to get to like 33, then it's like, well, that guy could be 25. He could be 40. And it wouldn't really require me to fundamentally alter how I think about that player that much. All right. Well, before we started, I told these guys, hey, let's make it quick. Let's get right into it. Let's talk about as many players as possible. And here we are. It's a good discussion. I think it's a worthy discussion of having and explaining just rankings in general and our process. But let's make it quick, boys. Let's talk about some players. And we will start with Josh Young. Mention his name up at the top. Both Chris and myself have Josh Young as our 11th ranked third baseman. Scott has him down at 16. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you. Why are you uh, lower than, not just Chris and I, but lower than the consensus, lower than ADP on Josh Young as well? Well, to be honest, I'm not sure what the consensus sees that I don't see. Josh Young was a 266 hitter with a 781 OPS last year. And those numbers compare closer to like Kebrian Hayes and Alec Bohm than they do to... Uh, a lot of the guys that Josh Young is being drafted around. And furthermore, he managed to have a 266 batting average and 783 OPS because he was, or 781 OPS, I should say, because he was crazy hot at the beginning of the year. It was very front loaded. April and May, he hit. I don't have the numbers exactly here. I have it, Scott. 842 OPS in April, 918 in May. Yeah, so he went into June batting 295 with an 872 OPS. And the rest of the way, Josh Young hit 244 with a 712 OPS. And furthermore, when he was hot at the beginning of the season, I said, hey, I don't see it in the data. I think this guy's going to cool off. And that's exactly what happened. So, I mean, for me, it's a simple matter of, this is where Josh Young's numbers say he should be ranked. And so I'm going to rank him there. And I, I'm, I'm fr- actually interested in hearing your arguments because I don't, I don't understand why so many are so enthusiastic for Josh Young. 
I'll start off and then I'll throw it your way, Chris. I think mm-hmm. instead of looking at his season as just two parts, I, I would look at it as three parts where he was amazing in the first two months. He was kind of okay for the next, I wrote down 57 games. He hit 255 with a 757 OPS. Uh, but then he fractured his thumb. He came back his final 13 games of the season, whatever. He hit under 200, one homer, 515 OPS. But then he got healthier in the postseason. And he hit really well. He hit 308, three homers. He finished strong again. He hits the ball really hard. 91.8 average exit velocity. That's 87th percentile. Nearly a 12% barrel rate. Comes with prospect pedigree. He's in one of the best lineups in baseball. So I kind of see it as he's a young player. I think he's going to progress uh, w- with the rest of this lineup. The counting stats should be good. I I think he could hit you know 30-plus home runs with 100-plus RBI and that's not something I would expect from someone like Cabrian Hayes, who, you know, you mentioned where you kind of have him ranked around. So. Well, it's interesting that you're viewing the data as a point in Josh Young's favor. And yes, the average exit velocity was high. Max exit velocity was 58th percentile, which is not normally what you see from a true masher. Uh, struck out nearly 30% rate. His expected stats are pretty much in line with his actual stats. Now, maybe that injury... Thumb injury, you said? Thumb injury, yeah. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe that brought those numbers down. But like I said, I remember the data before that, and it, it's not like the data shifted that much in response to the thumb. So I, I, I'm not convinced Josh Young is better than his numbers. One thing I will say is even if Josh Young isn't better than his numbers, his 162-game pace was 30 homers, 100 runs, and 93 RBI. With a 266 batting average, like that's that's probably a top 100 player, right? What game pace? 162. 162. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you take the time before the thumb injury, which was uh, mid, it was August 6th, was his last game before the injury. He he was really bad. It was like a 500 OPS after coming back. It was 104 runs, 33 homers, 100 RBI, 274 average. So I think a big part of it is just even if he's just what he did last season, the, the expected Woba is 337, the actual Woba 334, even if he's just the surface level numbers, that might be 195 runs in RBI in that lineup with 30 homers. That, that's without assuming that he was better than the data. Now, that's a tricky thing because injuries happen and I, I, I did some? Did anyone have we mentioned the gigantic splits? No, we have not so far because that's something I, I was not particularly aware of, and I don't know how much I worry about it. But he did have a seven seventeen OPS against righties, a thirty two percent strikeout rate, nine ninety five OPS against lefties with like a twenty percent strikeout rate. So that's pretty significant. I worry about that less with right handed hitters because generally speaking, right-handed batters have lower platoon splits and there aren't that many players who are really, really good against lefties and not good against righties. It just doesn't happen that often, although there are certainly some examples of it. I think it's a bet on a fairly high floor with room to grow. I look at Josh Young and I look at Jake Berger and I say, give me Berger because the power seems more legitimate the like I, I I can Berger might hit 40 home runs and Josh Young I'm not confident will hit 30. Um Josh Young might be a safer bet for batting average, but Jake Berger made some pretty substantial changes after joining the Marlins that helped 
greatly reduce the strikeout rate to the point it's better than Josh Young's. I mean, Josh Young's strikeout rate is pretty terrible. So, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I guess I feel like everybody's kind of seeing him through rose colored glasses, Josh Young. And I'm like, eh, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of weak points here. And, and one thing that's worth pointing out is he's pretty old for a guy who has only had the one good season because, you know, obviously like a lot of prospects, 2020 changed his trajectory and then he missed the year with that shoulder injury, I think. So, you know, he's, he's older than you might think, uh, Josh Young. So I'm not, I'm not moving him, but I, I get the skepticism. And I really like Jake Berger too. I, I think the takeaway might be maybe we're all just too low on Jake Berger. You know, maybe him and well, Josh Young should just be some of us are closer ranked. Yeah, I really like Jake Berger too. Uh, I think one key difference is obviously the lineup context. The Rangers lineup is going to be much better than the Marlins, which yeah. could help counting stats. But uh, I'm not That's sure. That's the biggest point in Young's favor. I agree. Yeah, I'm not sure that that means they should be going 50 or 60 spots apart with like they are right now. Let's move on to a player, Scott. You are higher on than Chris, and that is. Walker Bueller. We'll go over to the pitching side. You have Walker Bueller as your SP24. Chris has him as his SP37. Walker Bueller, 29 years old, now coming back from his second Tommy John surgery. Uh, Scott, what is your view of Walker Bueller for this upcoming season? Uh, well, I mean, it's hard to say exactly what to expect from Walker Bueller. Coming back from a second Tommy John surgery, that's more difficult than the first Tommy John surgery. I could tell you before the top, that before this second Tommy John surgery, Walker Bueller was regarded as basically a top 10 starting pitcher in fantasy and had been for several years, basically since he was of age to be. Uh, now, because it is a second Tommy John surgery, and you know, even if he is just who he was before he got hurt, presumably there will be some curtailment of the innings and we're already hearing talk of the Dodgers with six-man rotation. That might be justification to downgrade Walker Bueller. That the the main issue for me, why I can't go much lower than where I have him, is because of the breakdown of the starting pitcher position. Where I kind of feel like I put Walker Bueller as the dividing line between those who I feel pretty good about delivering an ace outcome and those who I don't. And Certainly, that's a possibility for Walker Bueller, though it would be closer to 160 innings probably than than over 200. Chris, is it just second Tommy John surgery? And I'm not saying that to downplay it because obviously the success stories are very far and few between when it comes to two Tommy John surgeries. But is there anything else that you're looking at that has you lower on Walker Bueller? Yeah, I think... There were some red flags in the profile, specifically in 2022. And the hard thing about that is how much of that was, was he pitching at 90% health? But, you know, in 2021, he took a step backward as a strikeout pitcher, 26% strikeout rate. It didn't really impact his production. He actually had the, the best ERA of his career because he had really, really good results on balls in play. 336 expected Wobon contact was the best of his career outside of 2018, which was a shorter sample size. So really, really good. 2019 and 2020 and 2022, his results on balls in play were just okay. He's been kind of all over the place. Part of that is just that's a noisy stat. Pitchers don't have as much control over the quality of contact they give up as batters, but it's the kind of thing where if he doesn't get back to being a 27, 28, 29% strikeout rate, 
can we rely on him to be that really, really good results on balls and play guy? Is the Dodgers defense as good as it once was? I, I think it's probably fair to say it's probably not. He's also as, pitching, pitching with the shift restrictions for the first time too. So, And I, I don't want to make any claims unfairly, but the strikeout rate reduction did coincide with the sticky stuff ban. And he was someone who there were some noticeable uh, spin changes in his profile in 2020 and, and 2019. And so that's also a part of it. So I just, I think there's enough concern about whether he's a, an impact pitcher even beyond, you know, the fact that he's coming back from the injury and the limitations. I, I moved him up a couple spots from when you started talking. He's SP 35, not SP 37. I don't know if I even want to move him above like Dylan Cease or Sonny Gray, though, who I think have similar risk reward profiles uh, to Bueller. Gray. I mean, I know he just finished second in AL. Yeah, he's really good. Like, you know, he's a 140 inning pitcher who doesn't even. Who, who might give you a strikeout per inning. I, I just don't, I don't see the reward in Sonny Gray relative to Walker Bueller, who, like I said, has top 10 upside. Like I'm, I'm looking, I, I said, I saw Walker Bueller as kind of the dividing line between those. I felt good about giving me an ace outcome and those I didn't right behind Walker Bueller. I have Jesus Lazardo, Zach Eflin, Logan Gilbert, none of whom I really foresee an ace outcome. You could argue Eflin delivered one last year, but I think it was more uh, relative to the lack of standouts at starting pitcher that that helped push Eflin up the rankings rather than just Eflin on his own pitched like an ace. And you know, I'm kind of skeptical Eflin can even repeat what he did last year exactly. So I, I'm just not as excited about that group of names below Walker Bueller in my rankings, and, and, and that's why he comes in where he does. All right, let's take our first break. When we return, Chris has some explaining to do. Riley Green, his 23rd outfielder in the rankings, will discuss right after this. Welcome back in. Let's continue on with some of the biggest differences in our early rankings. And Chris, you have Riley Green as your 23rd outfielder. Scott has him down as his 48th outfielder. Uh, Riley Green took some big steps forward last year. There's no doubt about it. He hit 288, 11 homers, 7 steals in 99 games, made some noticeable changes, hit the ball very hard, but he has had trouble staying healthy. Last Mm -hmm. year, went on the IL in late May with a stress fracture in his left fibula, and then he went on the IL in September with right elbow inflammation. Turns out he needed Tommy John surgery on his non-throwing arm. Chris, the case for your optimistic view of Riley Green, 23rd outfielder. Yeah, he's expected to be ready for opening day. So I'm hoping that the Tommy John surgery in the non-throwing arm isn't that big of a concern. Obviously, that's sort of an unknown, but there have been examples of guys bouncing back very, very quickly as hitters in that regard. And mostly, I I just think he's a really, really good hitter. And it's worth noting the, the injuries that he suffered. One, 2022, remember, he fractured a toe or a foot. Uh, like the last day before the season started or something. And he fouled a, a ball off his foot. That, that's that's bad luck. I, I don't know how much the stretch reaction in his fibula, if that's going to be an ongoing concern. Not a lot of like, I, I can't think of a lot of guys who have had that and, and not had it be a, a concern. So I don't know. The biggest thing for me though, I really just think he's 
a really, really good hitter. And obviously his rookie season was a little up and down last season. I thought he was very good. And the underlying data suggests that he should have been even better. He had a 344 Woba, 365 expected Woba. You look at his stat cast page, 89th percentile X Woba, 92nd XBA, 88th X slug. The changes to uh, the Tigers home stadium have made it a little hit more hitter friendly, which I think helps. And Really, the only concern I have with him as a hitter is he swings and misses a bit too much. You know, there's there's a bit too much strikeout rate there, but because he hits a lot of line drives and, and a decent amount of ground balls and hits the ball really hard, I don't think it's that big of a concern. I think he's a a legitimately very good source of batting average moving forward who will probably also hit for good power. And so there's some projecting here, but to a certain degree, I just don't like outfield. <laughs> And so it's an opportunity to plant a flag on a guy that I think is really good. All right, Scott, you're uh, lower. You have Riley Green down at outfielder 88. 88, 48, excuse me. (laughs) I think I like combined our rankings together. I have him at 43, uh, whatever. Okay, yeah, 48 is where I have Riley Green. No, I think your last point there, Chris, is the one I agree with the most is just that about 25th in the outfield rankings is where things really take a, drastic turn Mm -hmm. and so just kind of picking your favorite from a bunch of uh, less than surefire options i i think there's i think there's validity to that my biggest issue with riley green is that other than batting average i don't really see the upside i'd give Mm -hmm. him a chance of being a better power hitter if he didn't play in one of the most power suppressing parks in the majors in detroit that has ruined many a Many uh, uh, a hitter who looked like he had a lot of talent. And, and he gives Riley. real left-handed Nick Castellanos vibes as a hitter. Right. R- Nick Castellanos being like the, of course, the the poster child for being ruined by Detroit. I will also say that I'm, dis- I'm underwhelmed by Riley Green's running. Yes. Not that he couldn't steal bases, but I expected him to run a lot more in the majors than he has so far. And we're entering an era where that's even more important in terms of keeping up with the, the competition um, in the outfield. So I'm seeing Riley Green as closer to Alex Verdugo in terms of upside than not. I do think he has more than Verdugo. I do think he'll be a more consistent source of batting average, though even that's a little bit questionable because how much mm-hmm. he strikes out. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I have him three spots ahead of Alex Verdugo in my rankings, my outfield rankings. And so I just, I, I, I ranked probably a couple dozen hitters ahead of him who I feel like are going to stand out in clearer ways than he will. And even if you want to talk like a points league scenario, green strikeouts hold him on there. So it's, it's hard to move him past category standouts in that format where categories don't matter so much. I guess my biggest objection to where you have Riley Green ranked is that, okay, it's ahead of C.S. Duke, it's ahead of Spencer Steer, it's ahead of, is it ahead of George? It's, it's just ahead of all three of those guys, yes. Suzuki, Steer, yeah. and, and Springer. Yeah. I could I could move him below those three, and, and it wouldn't really bother me much. Evan Carter. You feel about, you're, you're happy with Riley Green over Evan Carter? I think so, yeah. Okay. All right. 
And I like Riley Green, the player, too. I'm kind of, I guess, hedging a little bit right now. I have him 43rd in the outfield rankings. If he shows up to spring training, all is good, and he looks like Riley Green, and, you know, he's fine, he's ready to go by opening day, I'm probably going to move him up, but just a little bit of uncertainty right now, and I kind of just want to see him out there on the field. And That's totally fair. Yeah, and, and just see him healthy first. Let's move on to Aaron Nola. Chris, you have him as your SP11. Scott and I both have Aaron Nola down at SP19. These are in the Roto rankings. Scott has Nola higher in head-to-head points leagues because he's a workhorse. Uh, he goes deep. He gives you the innings, obviously. But, Chris, your uh, case four, Aaron Nola, SP11. He does everything well, and then his ERA is just a random number generator. <laughs> and we know that ERA fluctuates wildly. For, and to be fair, his whip also fluctuates quite a bit, although even then, the bad years for his whip at this point, it's 1.15 is the worst of his last four seasons. So I think we can safely say whatever else Aaron Ola might do poorly, he's going to get a lot of innings. He's going to get a lot of strikeouts. He's going to have a pretty good whip. He's going to win some games. It's just a question of, do we get the f- mid fours ERA or the low threes ERA? Cause that seems to be the fluctuation and it, it's kind of an even year, odd year thing, which to be clear, I do not think Aaron Nola wakes up in 2024 and he's like, it's time to pitch. Well, I didn't mean to hit my microphone. That wasn't me quoting Aaron Nola. That was Chris saying that. <laughs> I just think we in a, in a landscape at pitcher where we know so little about so many pitchers. Aaron Nola is a sure thing for everything except ERA. And he's probably going to give us a good ERA. I whispered because I don't want like, I don't want anyone to yell at me when he has like a five ERA on May 7th, but you know. <laughs> I'm going to yell at you, Chris. Come on. Well, yeah, you can't stop the yelling. Uh, did he leave us? <laughs> and He must have hit a button or... I don't know. X'd out. You I'm know, Chris. Sh- I'm sure he'll be. Itchy fingers. I know. I, I don't want to give him control of this because then he's going to shut down the stream. But here you go. He's back. You can't give me control of this. <laughs> uh, buttons. He's back. All right, Scott. I mean, I'm in the same, you know, kind of area as you in terms of ranking him. Aaron Nola mm. was actually in my bus 1.0. I hear what you're saying, Chris, about the ERA being a random number generator. But the fact remains, he's had a 4.46 ERA or higher two of the past three mm-hmm. years. The past three seasons, cumulative ERA is 4.09. So pretty bad. while he's a workhorse, if he does that over 200 innings, he, he's actually hurting your ERA. So that's, that's yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty much the gist of my argument, too. And I'm, I'm torn on this one because I'm an Aaron Nola backer from way back. I drink a cola for Aaron Nola. That was the thing once upon a time on this podcast before your time, Frank, before your time, Chris, too, even. And, uh, you know, I, as I've said many times, I'm all in on just getting as many strikeouts as I can at starting pitcher for as long as I can. And Aaron Nola's great at getting those. I mean, he had 202 last year, 235 the year before, 223. You know, he's going to give you a good strikeout total. But that that workhorse... That, that workload he takes on, if, if things do go sour in two of the last three years, they've gone very sour with ERA, as you pointed out, Frank. 
that makes the impact of that even worse in a categories league, which is what we're talking about here. Now, I don't care about it at all in a points league, which is why I have Aaron Nola so much higher there. I, I can I can live with an unsavory ERA overall when the good starts are still like seven innings, 11 strikeouts, as they tend to be for Aaron Nola. He's, he still delivers. his. You look at his game log, it's still full of the kind of starts that are only accessible to true aces. Uh, and then just some really ugly ones that skew the ERA. But in a in in a roto league, you have to yeah you, you carry those bad starts around with you forever, and that's why I'd still consider Aaron Nola a net benefit to my pitching staff. I don't think ranking him 19th is anything to to shake a stick at. But you know that's why I have Max Freed, George Kirby. You know, they're more like ERA standouts than Aaron Nola is, even though they don't give you the strikeout numbers he does. That's why I'm taking, you know, Kodai Senga, Freddie Peralta. They're going to give you the strikeout numbers, but I'm less concerned about them completely destroying your ERA, as could happen with Nola. That's basically where I stand with him. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised. I, I thought I thought people were, so, were going to be so frustrated with Aaron Nola at this point that they were going to fade him. And uh, I, I'm surprised the consensus is closer to Chris on this, where they're pretty much keeping the faith on Aaron Nola as if two of the last three years didn't even happen. Yeah, the ADP still being drafted as a top 12 starting pitcher. That's Aaron Nola. I don't have a great reason for why this happens to him, but what I could come up with is he doesn't throw as hard as other quote-unquote aces, right? He mm-hmm. throws 92.7 miles per hour with his fastball. I think that creates a, a slimmer margin for error for him. And when things go bad, they just go really bad, right? It snowballs. There are games yep. where he allows hard contact, home runs. It's a tough home park to pitch in. And he struggled to pitch with runners on base. You look at his left on base percentage in his career. It's it's not great. It's been below 70% two of the past three years. So things just kind of snowball on him. And I don't know. Like, he could come out and you're right, Chris, have like a sub three ERA. It wouldn't surprise me, but well, and, and to a certain extent, that snowball effect I think applies to all of starting pitcher. Now, you know, with 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 more base runners last year and more activity on the bases, we saw a lot more of these ugly stat lines, even for really good pitchers. And that's partly why I'm selling out so hard for strikeouts because I feel like that's the only thing I could trust mm-hmm. pitchers to deliver on over the course of the season. But the fact that it's happened. For Aaron Nola, two of the last three years, it wasn't just a product of 2023. That that makes me a little more cautious with him. All right, let's quickly hit some news and notes. Not much going on, nothing too crazy here, but some quick things. The Rangers announced that Wyatt Langford, who we spoke about the other day, received an inf- invitation to Major League Spring Training, so he'll be there and hopefully given a fair shot to be on their opening day roster. Red Sox prospect Marcelo Mayer is expected to be a full go by spring training after dealing with a left shoulder injury last year. Not expected to be fighting for an opening day roster spot. Maybe we see him later on in the season. But he had a down 2023, maybe related to that shoulder injury. Hopefully, I think very much related to it. Yeah. I think it's a great time to buy on Marcelo Meyer and Dynasty Leagues because I've, I've seen him pushed way down some top 100 lists. All right. And then Dustin May began a throwing program on Wednesday. He underwent flexor tendon surgery and UCL revision last July and will be sidelined until the second half of the season. Last note here, the Blue Jays have signed Cuban right-hander Yariel Rodriguez to a four-year, $32 million contract and will apparently be given an opportunity to start. Rodriguez is 26 years old 
and he began his career as a starter in Cuba. Then he moved over to Japan, where he mostly pitched as a reliever. Uh, in 2022, I'll point out, a 115 ERA, .92 whip, over a strikeout per inning in Japan. Did not pitch last year. Uh, pitched in the WBC, but then apparently you know, defected and, and just got out of his contract in Japan. And he's been you know, trying to make it as a, a starting pitcher now uh, in the majors. Chris, uh, we do have some WBC data, uh, some StatCast data from Yariel Rodriguez from last year. You know, throws 95 miles per hour with the fastball, slider, big spin rate, 2940 RPM. So that looks pretty impressive. Uh, but I don't know, your initial thoughts, if you have any, on Yariel Rodriguez. It's a decent contract, right? Four years, 32 million. It's not nothing. Yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of Rysel Iglesias when he came over. Remember, it wasn't clear if he was going to be a starter or a reliever when he first came over. Similarly, got a, a decent-sized contract at the time. Rodriguez, it's there are concerns about, one, the quality of the fastball. He throws around mid-90s, can get it up to you know, 98, 99. But Eno Saris' stuff-plus model, uh, when it was trained on the World Baseball Classic last year, had it as a 75, which is extremely low. Um, it's tuned to where 100, per, 100 is average. It's like a, it's more like a cutting fastball than like a rising fastball, which is what we're looking for in the modern era. Results weren't bad on it. You know, he had five swings and misses in his start against the Netherlands. They don't have, you know, a full lineup of major league caliber players, but it's, I think the questions are, one, can he hold up to a, a full-time starter workload? Are the Blue Jays going to give him that opportunity? And does he have the the repertoire? You know, it was fastball slider almost entirely in the World Baseball Classic. The changeup he threw, you know, a handful of times. Can that be a viable third pitch? Can he succeed with just two pitches? We're, we're starting to see some more guys do that, like Justin Steele. Um so he's a bad control guy too, mm -hmm. Yariel Rodriguez. So I he may be he may get a chance to start, and if Alec Manoa is still terrible, they'll have to find somebody to fill that fifth <laughs> spot. I I don't think he's going to be a starter in the long run, Yariel Rodriguez. I just I I think he's better suited for the bullpen, and that's where we saw him pitching in Japan. Yeah. Well, my next question was, what does this mean for Alec Manoa? But Scott, it sounds like you think he will be given the opportunity to be the fifth starter. And then if it doesn't work out, maybe they, I mean, I, I think it just depends. Like if he looks like he did last year, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. So, and we should learn that in, in spring training, obviously. Yes. Right. That'll be a uh, very telling for Alec Manoa. Somebody who could turn out to be a big riser. I think his ADP is mm -hmm. outside the top 250 right now. He's, he's been left for dead, but if he uh, shows up and looks like 2022 Alec Manoa in spring training, then I'm, Sure, his ADP will rise quite a bit. Let's take our final break, and when we return, talk about, I don't know, like the uh, 10 players we have left. We'll do that right after this. All right, welcome back in. Let's get back into some of the biggest rankings differences that we have. I think two that we can run through pretty quickly. We talked about both of these names a lot recently, and uh, just a quick note on, on Jackson Chorio, because Scott has him at SP21. Chris, you have him down at outfield 37. So... Why are you so much lower? I'll just say I'm very squishy on this one. And th this is one that if it starts to look like he's going to make the opening day roster, I'll probably move him up. Even saying that, though, I get the feeling I'm probably not going to draft much Jackson Churio just because I feel like the hype is going to get kind of out of control. And it's just 
it's asking a lot for a 20 year old. He's not turning 20 until about a month before about actually about nine days before the season officially begins. I guess if we're counting the, I think March 11th is his birthday. Um, it's just asking a lot for that to be an impact player, especially for a guy who at the high level of the minors has been productive in a way that should work for fantasy because he's going to steal bases. But, you know, his overall OPS at triple or at double A is below 800. You know, last year it was like 803. I just, I have some concerns that he's going to be the immediate impact bat that we're hoping he will be. And maybe he steals enough bases that it just doesn't matter. And he just hits 260 with 18 homers and steals 40 bases. But I, this feels like the the most volatile of the rookie class this year. All right. And let's get some quick thoughts here on uh, Cole Reagans as well. Scott has talked a lot about Cole Reagans this offseason. We had a podcast last week, What You Missed Down the Stretch, where Scott laid out everything that Cole Reagans did and, and why he's so excited about him. But uh, there are some pretty big differences here. Scott, you have Reagans at SP16. Chris, you have him at SP24. I guess in the grand scheme, that's not a massive difference, but uh, what worries you about Reagans? I just want to point out for Jackson Choria real quick okay. that once once they came back in the second half with without the the tacky ball, they stopped. They were, they were using the tacky ball in the first half in the Southern League. Um, once they did away with that, Jackson Choria hit three twenty four with a nine seventeen OPS the rest of the season. Pretty good. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about like. You know, the, the fact he's so young, maybe he won't be able to blow up right away. But I, I think he's like really, really, he's going to be an amazing hitter. Um, and I'm kind of ranking him and Wyatt Langford both as if they already have the job. I'll adjust down if that doesn't happen. I think everybody else is kind of planning on adjusting up if it does happen. Chris, your reasoning okay. on, uh, well, unless you want to talk about Cole Reagan, Scott. But yeah, I've talked about him a lot. Well, I, I do. I do just want to say because I... You know, most of the time we talked about him, I have him 11th in the starting pitcher rankings, and now I have him down to 16th. I, I kind of explained it at the top of the show. I moved him down the rankings because I realized that I, I moved him basically to the bottom of his tier so that I, ha- I give myself a chance to draft more pitchers from that tier as opposed to reaching further than is necessary for Cole Reagans and um, capping capping my own pitching upside as a result because I miss out on the other pitchers that I could have taken at that point where I was taking Reagan's. So he is now behind Freddie Peralta and Kodai Senga to pitchers that I'm elevating for their strikeout potential, just like Cole Reagan's, but that I have more competition for their services in that range. I'm still at 16th. I still plan on getting a ton of Reagan's, but I'm not costing myself as many other opportunities at the position now. All right, Chris, why so low on Cole Reagans? It's workload and lack of track record. We we haven't seen him. One, he's thrown, I think, 134, 100, yeah, 134 innings is his career high. He's done that each of the last two seasons. Now, hopefully that means he can get to 175 this year. You know, that that's not unreasonable, but it it requires a guy who's had Tommy John surgery twice to maintain the velocity he had last year and pitch deep into a season in a way that he hasn't done. So th- that's the biggest thing. I, I I have a little bit of concern about the walk rate. You know, that that was an that was an issue for him as a as a minor leaguer as well as, you know, at parts of last season, but for the most part it's just 
a lot of questions about workload. You know, I asked the question, why are you so low on Cole Reagans? All three of us, you know, Scott has him at 16, Chris at 24. I have him at mm-hmm. SP 28. We're all ahead of ADP still on Cole Reagans, right? He's going around SP 30. Uh, you know, I, I share some of the, the same concerns as you, Chris. I worry a little bit about the control too. Like if there's one, you know, clear flaw in his game control, we saw that down the stretch too, but I'm not going to argue that there is huge swing and miss ability and, and big upside here. Well, and, and, and I want to clarify too, like I share those concerns as well. It's just part of the reason why I'm going to see, seem so far off from consensus at starting pitcher now is because of the globbing effect there. I don't think it's as worth sweating the downside risks for extreme upside pitchers because there are so few extreme upside pitchers who can really distinguish themselves at the position in in a globby environment for pitching where everybody kind of runs together. All right. Well, let's get into a player that I actually have ranked higher than you guys, and, and we were talking about him a little bit offline the other day. George Kirby. I have him at SP9. Chris has him at SP15. Scott has him down at SP18. And part of the reason why I really like Kirby are the ratios, right? 335 ERA, 104 whip. He had the third best contribution in whip last year in Roto Leagues. Um, Obviously, it's a really low whip, and he did it over 190 and two-thirds innings. I will fully admit there is projection involved with this, hoping that he does take another step in terms of strikeouts. We did see that in the second half. His strikeout rate went from 20.8% to 25% in the second half, and it came in conjunction with a pitch mix change where he started throwing his uh, splitter more. He threw it around... You know, 11, 12% of the time in the second half. And it, it's been a very good pitch for him. Last year, 143 batting average against 16.9% swinging strike rate. So love the ratios. Kind of feels like George Kirby is approaching that workhorse territory now. And my projection in, you know, I guess his progression in his career is I think he pushes to about a strikeout per inning, maybe even over a strikeout per inning. So that would be the case for the optimistic view of George Kirby. Chris, I'll throw it to you first here. Uh, why a little bit lower on Kirby? So one thing I, I, I posted on Twitter just asking why George Kirby, he's going about eight spots ahead of uh, Logan Webb in ADP, I think, something like that. This is the best argument that you can make because I think Logan Webb is also just going way too late. I agree with you completely, but continue. And, and part of the, the, the case was, well, George Kirby has more upside. And then you start to ask, why does George Kirby have some upside? And I think the arguments start to fall apart. I think a lot of it is just Logan Webb's been around a little longer. And so he just, it's harder to project and dream on guys that we've seen more. And then there's also the splitter. A lot of people will cite the splitter, the increased splitter usage, the swing and miss rate increase that he saw on his overall, uh, his swinging strike rate overall, I think jumped to like, it was still not great, but it was like 12% over the final month or so, which is better than where he had been and better than George, Logan Webb. I'll, though I'll point out that Logan Webb in 2021 had like a 12% swing and miss rate and like a 25% strikeout rate. We've kind of just like memory hold the Logan Webb upside argument from that year. The thing with George Kirby getting more strikeouts in the second half, however, you said 25% strikeout rate after the All-Star break, right? Yep. It's kind of fake. <laughs> he had 
His first start back from the All-Star break, only four strikeouts on 23 batters face. Not great. After that, 10, 9, and 7 on 25, 20, and 21 batters face, respectively. That's a really, really good strikeout rate. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's very, very good. After that, from August 1st on, he had a 22% strikeout rate, which is basically average, slightly up from where he was in the first half, but close enough that it's not, I, I don't think it's as clear of a ascension as it looks. And look, it's always better to use a bigger sample size than a smaller sample size. So if you want to say that the 14 starts after the all-star break are more indicative of the 10 starts from August 1st on, you're not going to get an argument from me. The argument would be, why don't you just do it from April 1st then or whatever. I don't know if he pitched before April 1st, no, from April 1st on. So that would be the case. I, I just think ranking him as a top 10 starting pitcher is baking in too much progression from a guy who has really only shown flashes of having that second pitch. His fastball is really, really good. And I think it gives him a very high floor. I'm not, I'm not ready to buy a strikeout rate jump and his XERA was like 390 last. Like his peripherals are good, not great. And so I just, I think there's, there's more downside in terms of ERA and whip. I think he's being viewed as just an elite guy in ERA and whip, and he might just be good in both. Scotty? Yeah, I don't think George Kirby is a big source of strikeouts. And to invest that heavily in starting pitching, I need to get strikeouts. I do think he should deliver a good ERA and especially whip but I don't think you can really trust any pitcher to reliably do that in this environment. So I'd rather not put my investment in that. And so that's why I've, you know, I still have him 18th overall, but that's why I'm fading Kirby relative to the consensus. If you play in a deeper league, he does feel like he has such a safe floor. I think in a points league, he's a great pitcher too. I mean, 20 quality starts last year. He does go deep pretty consistently. He threw six plus innings in 23 of 31 starts. So that's something that George Kirby does have going for him. And even in a Roto League, I think you can supplement him with other pitchers that get strikeouts, like a Kodai Senga, a Blake Snell, Cole Reagans mm-hmm. a little bit later on as well. So there are ways to make it happen. But Chris, the Logan Webb thing, I completely agree with that. Like, I probably should just have them back-to-back in my rankings, either move Webb up or move Kirby down a little bit. Because, yeah, they should not be going 25 picks apart right now. It just That does not make too much sense to me. Let's stick with the pitchers, and I wanted to talk about Joe Ryan, who Chris has as his SP23, Scott has at SP39, I have at SP38. So Scott and I a little bit lower here on Joe Ryan, and I'll let you get the first word, Scott. Um, why so much lower? Because even ADP, like Joe Ryan's being drafted as a borderline top 20 starting pitcher right now, which frankly really surprises me. What do you think about Joe Ryan? Mm-hmm. I... I'm playing a hunch here, and it's a hunch that's backed up by a tweet I saw from Eno Saris in October where he pointed out there was some evidence to suggest that the rising fastball wasn't working as well as it used to, that hitters were catching up to it. And that's Joe Ryan's whole thing. He doesn't throw very hard. His, his fastball just has a shape that's optimal for missing bats. And... You know, I you look at how he finished the season. He went into the All Star break with a. Uh, I'm sorry. He he went into as of in, on June 22nd. He had a 290 ADRA. That ERA finished at 
51. Now, he did have a horrible stretch there early in the second half where he was pitching through a groin injury. But even after he returned from that, that supposedly it affected his delivery. Even after he returned from that, Joe Ryan had a 479 ERA in seven starts. So it didn't really get much better. And I just kind of wonder if the jig is up here with him, in which case he might be a totally wasted pick. Now, if it's not, and it was all uh, his delivery was messed up because of that groin injury, he seems like the kind of exactly the kind of pitcher I'd want in this environment. You could trust Joe Ryan for strikeouts in that case, but given the way things played out for him at the end of the season, even after returning from that injury, and that that little observation from Eno Saris that stuck in my mind, I am worried that uh, the gimmick, the gimmick's not going to work so much for Joe Ryan anymore. He's he's going to be on my busts 1.0 for this year. Yeah, Scott, he was on my bust 1.0. We will share that with Joe Ryan. The strikeouts are there. There's no doubt. Among starting pitchers with 160 innings last year, Joe Ryan's K-minus walk rate, second best to only Spencer Strider. His swinging strike rate was seventh best. But this is someone who is an extreme fly ball pitcher, nearly 50% fly ball rate, allows a lot of hard contact, 23rd percentile in average exit velocity against. As a result, 1.78 home runs per nine, the fourth highest in baseball so I have my concerns. Chris, why so much higher on Joe Ryan? I think those are reasonable concerns. When I look at the profile, I think the biggest red flag is something. It, it's kind of who are we to Josh Young is who are we talking about earlier? It's kind of the pitching version of Josh Young, where I guess it's the opposite. Joe Ryan is a right-handed pitcher who gave up an 829 OPS to right-handed batters last season. That's really, really bad. You you look at the pitch profile and, and you kind of figure it might be the opposite, right? He's so fastball heavy. His only breaking ball is kind of a sweeper. He throws a slider as well, but very rarely. It's the kind of profile that you would think like, oh, this guy might have bad platoon splits. He does. It's just not the way that I expected. And so I'm hoping that one, the struggles in the second half were about the groin injury as much as anything. And also that, you know, the the refinement of the sweeper, making that more of a focal point against righties can help him overcome his struggles against righties in a way that I think the ERA might always be a little inflated. But there I don't really have a ton of workload concerns. You know, he's thrown 140 innings, I think, two consecutive years now. And I just think it's kind of an Aaron Nola thing where even if the ERA is a little inflated, obviously it needs to be better than it ended up being last year. But if it's high threes, he's going to be so good at everything else that I think he's still going to be worthwhile. Let's wrap up with this player because I think they're kind of similar, but one is going, uh, let's see, nearly 70, no, more than 70 picks later than the other. Bailey Ober. I don't see a huge difference between Bailey Ober and Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan's ADP, 94.7. Bailey Ober, 166.8. And in 57 career starts, Ober has a 363 ERA, 111 whip, just over a strikeout per inning, great control, 13% swinging strike rate. All Bailey Ober has done is perform. So I have them back-to-back in my rankings. I have Joe Ryan at SP38. I have Bailey Ober at SP39. Scott, you come in much lower on Bailey Ober, SP59. Why so much lower on Bailey Ober? Strikeouts. That's usually the answer if I'm lower on a pitcher than the consensus. Over a strikeout per inning, though. 
Okay, you're you're saying you don't see the difference between that and Joe Ryan's 11K per nine? It is. Like, it is different. a different category. A, a strikeout per inning is not a strikeout pitcher. But in, ERA 363 for Billy Ober's career versus yeah. Joe Ryan's 405. I mean, it's right. But massive. I don't really trust ERA. Okay. And you know. Bailey Ober's not George Kirby. He throws a lot of strikes like Kirby, but like he doesn't have that track record of of keeping those uh, ratios down. But ultimately, yeah, that's just not a stat I trust in this environment. And I would so what 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 forces Ober down in my rankings are pitchers like Emmett Sheehan and Nick Lodolo and uh, Lucas Giolito, uh, Kyle Harrison, even. Pitchers who I perceive as having much more strikeout upside, they might not be as reliable. I mean, they're certainly not. We're certainly not as confident in what they can do going into this new season. But um, particularly in the context of a 12-team league, which is what my rankings are geared for, remember, I want to give myself as many chances that I can as pitchers who can transcend the glob. And I, th- I think targeting strikeout pitchers is the way to do that. Bailey Ober, I think, is going to remain firmly in the glob, though, you know, he's obviously more interesting than some pitchers in the glob. Chris, you're a little bit closer to me. You have him SP44. Uh, is Bailey Ober someone you are actively targeting? Do you like that ranking on him? You know, are you aggressive? Do you plan to be aggressive on him? What do you think on Bailey Ober? I struggle with this, like, and not Kirby, Bailey Ober, and, and Joe Ryan are all going in very different ranges of the draft, as you mentioned. But I struggle with the extreme control artist archetype, you know, the 5% or or lower in, in Kirby's case. I think he was like a 2.5% walk rate or something wild last year, where I think you can go too far in not giving up walks or in not being willing to pitch with a purpose and throw out of the strike zone and get guys to chase in, in a way that I think leads all of these guys to get into some trouble and get into situations where they, they might pitch worse than their peripherals might indicate. Um, in Ober's case, I, I think he's, I think it's a fine price, you know, top 45 ish pitcher. If he gets to that range and I'm looking for ideally an SP five, I think I really like him in that range. It's just, if I'm looking for an SP three, I'm probably chasing more upside. So it kind of depends on the way my draft goes, but you know, when you look at the, the metrics for him, one thing that really stands out, his slider was a really, really good swing and miss pitch in 2022. It was just okay last year. And so that's one thing where if you're looking for a way for Bailey over to take a big step forward, getting back to, and you know, he was a 37% whiff rate with his slider in 2022. It was down to, 33% in 2023. It's not a huge gap, but that's one place where you're looking, if you're looking for a way for him to take a step forward, I think getting more whiffs out of that pitch could do it. We got to, we got to get to some of these players in a later show. We didn't, we didn't get to a lot of the players I was most excited to talk about. Mitch Keller, Mitch Garver. Pretty much all the players that you were higher on, I'm realizing we didn't get to, right? I don't see. Yeah, right. That's why I was excited to talk yeah. about him. Let's do let's do a version 2.0 next week. We yeah. might be able to. We have tears. Scott's tears articles are coming out, so uh, we kind of have tears. To... People can people can find those on the website. <laughs> no, it's fine. 
Uh, we may be able to shoehorn these in somewhere, right? It doesn't have to be a whole show dedicated to them. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll find somewhere. I'll, I'll write them down. I'll get the ones that you want, and we will do it on a future podcast. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.